0: Believer when I was 15. And I think when I first became a believer, I thought, uh, I kind of imagined there'd be two or three decades of spiritual growth where hopefully most of the major battles, major issues in life, major sins would be taken care of and calmed down and, and the voices of the world and the flesh and the devil would kind of grow quiet. And as I moved into middle age, far in the, my future that uh, those struggles would be kind of replaced with joy and just quiet and peace and life would become easier. (laughs) And that hasn't been my experience. That's not what's happened. And I mean, some of the battles have changed, and some of the things that I struggle with, obviously, some of the overt behaviors of that kind of time, maybe they're set aside, but God, in his graciousness, he doesn't show us all of our sins at once, so as he works on one area of sin, and we grow in that area, he says, good job, son, let me show you this other area that you haven't seen yet, and he continues to work in our life, and I mean, all that to say, I'm in my 67th year, and the battles still rage. There are different battles, and But consistent joy and just peace, they're stru- still a struggle, contentment. I continue to need to work at those. They're elusive. And a lot of times these uh, many mornings in particular, I don't know if you had this experience, you go to bed at night, everything's feeling good, you wake up in the next morning it's just like emotions or your closeness to God or whatever has just crashed and I feel like some mornings I have to kind of reboot the system and go right back in and worship to pull myself and to have God pull me back to himself. At every point in our lives, this is my point here, uh, spiritual growth is as important as ever. It never becomes something that we can set aside. Sanctification is not something we outgrow or we retire from. And it's to be our pursuit. But I want to suggest that there are a couple of different avenues to spiritual growth, and one direct and one indirect. And so we start, and I notice that some notes have been put in your um bulletin, but we're also I'm going to also be putting some things on the screen. So whichever you'd like better, I guess you would say. So scripture talks a lot about a very direct, intentional pursuit of spiritual growth in our lives. And we see passages like uh, Hebrews 5.14, but solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment, trained by constant practice, pursuing, distinguishing good and evil through the word of God. And Second uh, Peter 1, for this very reason, make every effort, it's a very direct approach to spiritual growth, to supplement your faith with virtue, and your virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, etc., etc., cetera, et cetera, to become more like Christ, pursue it directly, it's something that we try to reach out and grab, growth happens when we pursue the means of spiritual growth. When we pursue our spiritual disciplines, when we understand and study God's word and we obey it and we can take advantage of other spiritual disciplines, prayer, discipleship, reading good books, this is conscious, intentional, purposeful growth, pursuing God to become like him. God commands this of us. We talk a lot about this. This is the focus of most of our time here when we come to our church. We emphasize it rightly. So it's not what I want to talk about today. So I want to talk rather about an indirect approach to spiritual growth because I'd like to suggest that spiritual growth can also happen in a different way, kind of in through the side door, you might say, an indirect way. Let me give you this as an illustration of it. I remember back in high school, I learned to type. We're talking about the uh, first half of the 1970s. I learned to type on a manual typewriter. How many of y'all learned to type... Okay, I think that classifies all of us as oldsters, a manual typewriter. But you were told when you first learned to type, you're looking at the keys. You're trying to find the individual keys very directly. But the sweet spot comes when you can start looking away either at what you're copying or at the screen today and not look at your keys. And you can move faster and things become more uh, through indirect, not looking at the keys. You actually become a better typer. And so spiritual growth kind of has that uh, dimension, too. We can pursue spiritual growth as a byproduct of another activity, as a byproduct of looking at something else, looking somewhere else than directly at the means of spiritual growth, but by gazing at God. And that's what we've already laid the foundation for in our scripture passages in our, in our, verse, in our singing this morning spiritual growth and Christ likeness that comes as a byproduct of gazing at God's face and scripture uses that phrase and so I want to talk about that it's counterintuitive because we normally think of improving at something by intentional effort taking steps intentional, intentionally pursuing steps to spiritual growth but uh, let's, let's think about it this way. In sports, um, we normally, baseball for example, we don't normally become better baseball players just by hanging out with other baseball players or just by daydreaming and imagining baseball or reading a rule book about baseball or talking to others about baseball. But that is one of the ways of growing spiritually, by hanging out with God by talking to others about God, by imagining God, by reading also about God, by thinking about God, and by practicing his presence by worship. We don't worship in order to grow. We worship in order to honor God. But a byproduct of worship is lining ourselves up with who God is, a byproduct of gazing at his face. We can do it individually. We do it, of course, corporately as well. And so I want to pick up on that one phrase of gazing at God's face or seeking his face. And so I've called this the face gazer's guide to spiritual growth. That's what I'm referring to. Open your Bibles to 2 Corinthians 3. I'm going to put a number of the other passages and some other quotes from different people on the screen. But let's start here. Uh, and look at this one together, because it's kind of a core verse that speaks of this, especially in the New Testament. A lot of our passages today will be from the Old Testament. and So, Paul, this is that, that uh, context where Paul had been talking about Moses when he was up on the mountain. He saw God, in a sense, face to face. His glory, God's glory, was in Moses' face. He came down. He had to veil his face. And so he's contrasting, so using it somewhat of as, a, as a metaphor, contrasting it with us now, In our state, and he says in verse 18, And we all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord. So it's our unveiled faces it's referring to there, not not God's at this point. So with our faces unveiled, we behold the glory of the Lord. And as a result, we are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. And the word beholding here, it's usually connected to the idea of a mirror. Looking in a mirror, it's used that way in other places. In fact, New American Standard even translates it, beholding the Lord as in a mirror. It's that kind of looking that you're looking at yourself in the mirror and you're studying it just a little bit. You're trying to see if there's something you need to fix up. Uh, You're trying to comb your hair or whatever the case may be. So it's the idea of contemplating or gazing at God. That probably makes the, boast, the best sense, gazing, contemplating, really thinking as we are looking at God. And so this verse tells us that this beholding or this gazing is one of the conditions for our transformation. In fact, literally you could translate it, by means of beholding the glory of the Lord, we become more and more like God. Or all of us, by means of gazing at the Lord's glory with our faces uncovered, are being transformed into the same likeness, from one degree of his glory likeness to another. So we grow spiritually by gazing at God. So what does that mean? As close as we get to -to face-to-face with God in this life is gazing at him in our worship, in our contemplation, in our meditations. So have you heard about this phenomenon that seems to be taking place? I'm sure some of you have. The, the TikTok tick. <laughs> if you're a reader of World Magazine, there was an article on this. It's a whole group of TikTok users, particularly young people, uh, who've developed what appears to be Tourette's syndrome. And it's just really tons of them, especially young, young girls and just showing up at the doctor with Tourette's syndrome, and their parents are seeing these repeated movements and the tics and the yelling and some of that things that can't be easily controlled. And they've determined that at least a lot of it is not from a physical condition in themselves, but it's from viewing TikTok because there's a number of in what they call influencers. I've never opened TikTok, so I've only read about this. But influencers, those people who have channels that a lot of people flood, have Tourette's syndrome. And somehow these young gals are getting a sense of identity or their own uniqueness by imitating these people that seem to have influence. So that they try to start talking to their friends with a with a Tourette's like uh, symptoms, because they it seems to they seem to be finding some kind of Uh, identity in that in others there's been a real uptick in other kinds of mental illnesses that many are suspecting are due to the use of social media now I'm not here so much to pick at social media one solution to that we might say well get them off social media a lot of this has come about as a result of the pandemic and parents just giving unlimited time to kids on social media and they're they're spending a lot of time there so one solution would be you only get an hour a day on, on TikTok or whatever, but a better way, a better solution would be to, for these youngsters to have their identity grounded in God, to line up who they are with who God is. And that happens as a result of worship. That happens for us as a result of worship. It grounds us in who we are and then makes us and who want who want, who God wants us to be that's gazing in our faces as our unfelt veiled faces gaze at God we're formed we're changed so this conne- this connection is one of the reasons i found in, in counseling as i've done counseling worship has become a greater part of my counseling sometimes in the session or sometimes by assigning say a psalm or reading some kind of book that draws him into worship because it just helps life line up as you worship, it's an indirect approach to helping them with what some of their issues may be. Indirect, but still very purposeful, as we gaze at God to align our hearts and our lives with God and His truth. John Owen is one who's spoken of this, and he says, But faith which is truly divine is never more in its proper exercise, doth never more elevate the soul into conformity, conformity unto God, that spiritual growth, than when it acts in the contemplation and admiration of the most incomprehensible mysteries, mysteries about God, which are proposed unto it by divine revelation. And that which shall at last perfectly affect our utmost conformity to God and therein our eternal blessedness is vision. Steve wrote, read from First John chapter 3. That's what John Owen's uh, referring to here. Vision or sight, we shall be like him when we see him as he is. And to the, to the degree that we see him as he is now, we become like him as well. That's not just something for the future, but now. So by gazing upon and staring at the beauty of god we become more like him now how well do i do in this not very well Uh, but i want to it's a hard work i want to grow in this i want to learn uh, more about this face face gazing face gazing is a means to spiritual growth so let's start let's go through some different ideas here what is this idea let me make sure this idea of face gazing, gazing mean? Well, it's basically equals seeking God. We heard, in, I think in the verse, first passage that Steve Pizzini read, that we don't see God's face literally face-to-face now. We are unable to. Uh, so face gazing isn't literal in that sense. So it's the idea of seeking to understand who God is, meditating upon him. David refers to this, and David's got to be one of the best face gazers that, that ever lived. And he said, one thing I ask of the Lord, this is what I seek. Notice that word, I'm seeking, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. That's a synonym for that, seeking his face. To look, another synonym for him in his temple. My heart says to, to you, my heart says to you, seek his face. Your face, O Lord, I seek. Seeking God's face, seeking God's glory, seeking to know who God is and to worship him. And this is in the context the, in, the, in the passage, uh, uh, Psalms 27, of being distracted by all the trouble that's going on around him in a world that's falling apart. And it sounds familiar to us. So it's in the context of enemies he's saying, help me stay focused. Help me to continue to seek your face when all these other things can easily distract me, just like we all have. This word seek or or, or synonyms of it are used five times in this passage. The idea of trying to find God, trying to discover him, searching for God, searching for who he is, looking at him, studying him, looking for him, gazing as he uses that word, beholding him. This word gaze is used in the Song of Solomon of, of a lover, looking at his lover with anticipation and eagerness and longing and desire. And that's the attitude we have should have an approaching God. It speaks here of a burning desire on David's part to see God better and better and to worship him better and better. And so he says, seek his face. And so this word, in particularly in the Old Testament for face, it's used quite often of one's presence and the essence of who one is. So it speaks of God's being. And of looking as best we can through spiritual eyes at God and he at us with nothing separating us. Face to face, as face to face as it gets in this life. So God makes his face to shine upon us. That word face is very common in the Old Testament. Do a little uh, search of that word. Seeking his face describes that yearning and searching for God. We don't yet have him the way we eventually want to have him and will have him, but we're gaining more and more of him, so to speak. Learning him better and better, seeking for God, and seeking, seeking for God with our total focus and our total attention. And for David, that was particularly in the temple. He would go to the temple, and Jews went to the temple because that was the particular location of God's presence, where he was, that place where God came down and met with people, and heaven and earth united, in in a sense. But what does it mean for us? Our, Our context is a little bit different. We don't have a physical temple that we go to to worship in, so it's no longer geographical. It's no longer in a location. We worship him in spirit and in truth. And then I think that word spirit there is not so much referring to Holy Spirit, but with our whole spirit and according lined up with the truth. We seek to worship God. It's a a willing spirit on our, a desire. Even if we don't do it well, we still desire it. Desire implies we don't quite have it yet. We don't quite have all of God that we want, but we're seeking it. We're pursuing it. We want it badly. And I have to say, it's an endeavor that's still a bit of a mystery to me. It's still, there's that part that I don't quite grasp. It's a hard work, thinking about God, meditating on God, worshiping God, talking with God, talking about God to others, writing perhaps some of us to God, reciting, writing, reciting poetry or songs to God, for God. It doesn't seem real productive. Imagining who God is, trying to let our minds think about that. It's rather nebulous, especially for our Western, very action-oriented, list-producing culture that we have. This idea of pursuing something that's a little nebulous and is mysterious, and you're going to do it different than I am, it feels a little bit hard to get our hands around. It's not simply seeking something from God, which is fine, asking God for deliverance, asking God for blessing and relief, but seeking God is hard work. It's a discipline that's to be practiced and that we have to learn it and we have to grow in it. So face gazing is giving our whole focus on how beautiful God is and the beauty to which, uh, to the degree that he shows it to us. And we pursue it and want to see more and more of it, even in this life. Face-gazing is seeking God. Face-gazing is also remembering God's work. So we have those two that we often think about, worshiping God for who he is, worshiping God for what he's done, that kind of thing. That's the, the, the thing I'm talking about here. Again, it says in Psalm 105, look to the Lord in his strength, seek his face always. Remember the wonders he has done. So that's the deeds, remember them his miracles and the judgments he pronounced. And then the psalm is quite long reciting a lot of the things that the psalmist knew of that he did, miracles and different mighty works. And then it comes down in verse 45, we remember all these things that they may keep his precepts and observe his laws. The purpose of thinking about God, face gazing is to produce obedience, to remember that. I'm gonna come back to that. A little bit more later that connection to obedience but seeking God's face leads to change in us so we grow spiritually by remembering all God all that God has done for us And there's different ways to do this what are some some practical ways we can do this we can of course take time to see what's around us and we think particularly of seeing God in nature and the greatness and the beauty that's out there and thinking through that and seeing God's fingerprints, listing some of those down, praising God for that. I want to think of a couple of other ways that we can do this as well, and that's to see God and praise him for what he's doing in people, to think not only on God's works in history and in our lives and in nature, but also God's works in and through people. Looking for God in others, seeing how God is expressing his character and behavior in the lives of other people, particularly his children, but even others who don't know God because we're all image bearers. Let me give you some ideas for that. Looking for the incredible diversity found in God as we see the diversity in people. And so we can learn more about God, the breadth of his being, by seeing the breadth of what he's created in us our personalities our ta- talents the things that we're able to do we see that through the prism of his people we look in on their god stories just as angels desire to look in on our god stories and we learn about god through observing other people even on the things people have designed and and this idea has come to me more re- recently the things that people do the greatness that god achieves through people to create new inventions to build beautiful things to create beautiful art this to it's an expression of the imago dei god's image through them that they're we we're able to do fantastic things dogs don't do that (laughs) even gorillas don't do those kinds of things um i remember uh this is a picture in shanghai It's an area across the river that's known as Pudong, and it really does look like that, and it's really beautiful. And most of Shanghai is behind the photographer, the old city. This is a new area, and I remember standing there with a Chinese friend that we met here. She was a uh, visiting scholar, and she was there, and she was maybe in her 50s, and we were observing this, and she was looking across, and she said, you know, 20 years ago, those were fields, all of this, and this includes three of the tallest buildings in the world. All of this has been built in 20 to 30 years. And so it just made me think, even of these who probably mostly don't know God, they still have the image of God in them and the ability then to produce things like that. And even to be look at, look at, at that, see through that to God's glory. It's a way of remembering the great works God has done through us. The commentator, commentator William um, Hendrickson speaks of this, and he speaks of this seeing God in others is, as they gaze upon him, they, we, like perfect prisms, reflect, refract the light which beams forth from his glorious countenance and show its exquisite beauty of color in lives wholly dedicated to them, speaking there of believers. We can see God even in others, so we should intentionally seek to have meaningful conversations with each other to find God. Part of seeing God's face is seeing God's face in you and in, in one another. Uh, ask each other about recent spiritual challenges or areas of growth or times of worship, recent insights into the Word. Make this part of our conversation, recent opportunities to, to serve God in a special way. Expressions of God through others. That's a way of seeking God that's a way of learning about God tell our stories to our children of what God has done in our past help them grow up in that atmosphere of looking for God and what he's done we should be intentional about this so we're face gazers in community with each other face gazers as we remember God's works in many different ways and going on a third aspect of this is the connection between face gazing and repentance. Now, now, we know that God hides his face from people in response to our sin. There can be a sense in which he, he, there's, a, there's a type of relational separation between us and God, even though we're still children of God. Uh, Deuteronomy 32, this is written to Israel. Stick with me on this one. To Israel as they were falling away into worshiping demons and false gods. And so God says to them, or he's speaking to Moses here, I will hide my face from them. There's that separation, he said. And see what their end will be, for uh, for they are a perverse generation, children who are unfaithful. And then you skip down to Hosea. Same kind of context of a lot of unfaithfulness, but look how it develops. For I will be like a lion to Ephraim, like a great lion to Judah. I will tear them to pieces. He's hiding his face. And go away. I will carry them off and no one to rescue them. Then I will go back to my place until they admit their guilt. Repentance. And they will seek my face. So there's the connection between feeling their guilt on the one hand. The flip side is as they seek God's face. In their misery, they will earnestly seek me. Come, let us return to the Lord. He has torn torn us to pieces, but he will heal us. He has injured us, but he will bind up our wounds. And so as we gaze upon God in worship and seek his face, our defects become evident. Our deficits become evident, become all too apparent. Light brings sight it exposes, and so the light of being with God is going to help us see those areas where we actually need to repent. Seeking God's face does that for us. I remember seeing this in a really beautiful way quite a few years ago when we knew a gal who was a single missionary and uh, very effective, very, very, did a lot of good things. But she fell into some areas of sin. She committed immorality with a local man a couple of different times. And I remember she was back in the States. She was not a missionary at this point, but spending time with her. And she was just so broken. I mean, she couldn't get beyond, I can't believe I did that. Everything is destroyed. She couldn't imagine life going on. And I remember what helped her. It was actually a specific book some of you guys might be familiar with. It's called A Gospel Primer. By Milton Vincent is maybe 20 years old and this book is on worship but it's a different kind of book and there are others like this but this is the one that spoke to her it's not a book about worship it's a book that leads you into worship and so it has poetry it has a lot of different uh, kind of prosaic reflections it's actually helping us to worship God and it was through this and really seeing God in the gospel that number one for her helped her see her sin was actually much worse than she even thought because it was sin against God but it also helped her see the beauty of the gospel by which she was forgiven and it it was gazing at God's face that restored her to God and it brought her a healthy cleansing repentance and restored her relationship to God I think this is the application of second Chronicles 7.14 that we're familiar with, but this is the application for us. If my people, is referring to believers who are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray, so repentance, and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. You see how those two operate in tandem, repentance and seeking God and worship. Turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. Some of that doesn't apply to us directly, but... The essence of it does. As we seek God's face, he helps us to see those things we need to let go of that we can grow, that we can become more like him. Or another passage from a place, from a rather odd place. The Odes of Solomon were written in the first century or so of Christianity. So this is a Christian writing. This is not inspired writing, but it's, it's wise writing. And the writer says, Behold, the Lord is our mirror. Open your eyes and see them. See your eyes in Him. As you look at, at God, see your own face. He's picking up on that Second Corinthians 3.18 again. And learn how your face is. Utter praises to His Spirit and wipe the filth from your faces. He's following on that facial metaphor for my, our whole lives. Love His holiness and put it on, and you will be without blemish all the time with Him. Hallelujah. This is a praise for him. Looking at God, I see what I need to clean, and then I grow and I can praise him even more. So we see God more clearly and grow by consistent daily repentance, and those two work in tandem with each other. They produce each other. And then finally, just trying to describe what this idea of face gazing is. Face gazing equals walking in faithful obedience. And I've got a couple little arrows there for a purpose for a reason, I mentioned this earlier, but I want to talk about it a little bit more. It's an aspect of spiritual growth, walking in obedience. So, uh, Psalm 24 again, David speaking. Um, Seeking God's face will result in holiness of behavior and heart for us. And so, David describes this in a familiar passage: "Who may ascend the hill of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands, behavior, and a pure heart." Uh, inner motives, who does not lift up his soul to an idol or swear by what is false. He will receive blessing from the Lord and vindication from God his Savior, such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek his face, your face, O God of Jacob. And so it affects our behavior. It affects our hearts. It results in in, uh, obedience. It results in spiritual growth. So to, to the degree that we we apprehend, we we gain, we understand God's glory, we'll grow in obedience. We'll grow in obedience to Him or John Owen. Our apprehension of this glory is the spring of all obedience and co- consolation and hope in this world as we understand God, and that we understand God as we gaze at him. As we spin, it's a cyclical m ma- uh, uh, Operation, so to speak. The more we worship, the more that we'll obey. But the more that we obey, the better we will be at worship as well because it's an act of obedience to be seeking God's face. God shows himself to those who walk in obedience. And Psalm, Psalm 11 says, upright men will see, see his face. There's a connection. As we exercise our, our worship muscle, it will result in growth and obedience, which in turn will result in greater capacity to worship. They, too, work in tandem, similar to repentance, seeking God's face. So there's kind of some of the concept I've laid out. Let's let's think about how we can apply this. Let's try to be a, a little bit more practical in, in an area that still is kind of mysterious in some ways. And so just give you three points of application here and the one point is just the most obvious thing to us we need to practice Godward face gazing as a spiritual discipline we need to work at it because it's hard we need by the power of God's spirit to persevere in it even when we feel like I'm so ineffective at it I'm it's so difficult for me What are some practical ways we can do this? Well, I'm the one speaking up front, so I can just share with you some of the things I've borrowed from other people or things that I've uh, attempted that have some been effective. Memorizing verses, passages of Scripture, but specifically about the character of God, meditating on those, having those ready in the middle of the night when you can't sleep, that those can come to mind and you can worship in that darkness thinking through each of the moral attributes of God, and then after meditating on that, actually think about the ways in which you fall short. Or we fall short of that, listing them down as prayer points to ask God for growth. When we confess sin to God, try to meditate on the particular attribute of God that ministers to us in that guilt, his graciousness or his mercy or his love and goodness. Meditating on the spiritual blessings that are ours in Christ, such as in some listed in Ephesians chapter 1 and chapter 2 and other places. I've kind of worked on this list for years. I've got my list up to 38, so I don't know. There's nothing inspired about that, but things I've just seen, ways in which because we are in Christ, we have, we possess these spiritual blessings. Reading good books about God, books like a gospel primer or, or another good book. From another years, a number of years ago, was a book by Paul Miller called "When God Walked Among Us." It was a very different kind of book. He said that it was a—he's a left-brain person. I think I have this right, more of a a analytical person. But he tried to write a right-brained type of book. It's a book that draws us into worship more than just describing worship, and it's a book in which we can worship. Or there are many other books like that. Meditating in all the names and titles given to Jesus in the Bible and praising him for those and their their meaning. Worshipping, of course, through music. Whispering your prayers out loud. I find that I can concentrate a lot better when my mouth is at least moving and I'm saying words. Other, otherwise, my mind just kind of has these nebulous thoughts about God as I pray. Actually having prayer and fasting days. That's hard work. Uh, or I, a few hours. Reading Writers like the Puritans, if you really want to go into a deep dive in some of their writings about um, God's character. I remember a lady that we discipled a number of years ago. She was a very artsy lady, and she was going through a lot of struggles, and she wrote psalms, and they were beautiful. They were incredible psalms because she had that ability, and God was, she was feeling, it. it was, that's where she was, just like David in a lot of his psalms. Now, I know as we do this and we try to spend time focusing on this, we get distracted in a second. I mean, we we work at it, and we're lucky if we go a, a whole minute of being able to focus on God. Don't stew over that. Just get back up on the saddle and start focusing again and train our minds to at least do that better and better. It never will be perfect in this life. I know that for me there are times in the middle of a dark night or a dark period of the soul When worship's especially hard, when God's face seems especially clouded or far away, and it's hard to focus on him, but many examples in Scripture of writers, uh, the Psalm writers, Job, Jeremiah, Habakkuk, and Jesus, they also went through those dark times. And where did they go? They went to worship. They worshiped God in the times when God felt the farthest off because worship at that point is what we need. Worship is what's going to make God clear to us once again. And community worship as well. And making sure our worshipful face gazing gazing as we're together is not just sort of a little intro to the service and then we get to the main part, which is the word, but the whole thing is worship. And all of it is equally of a priority as we worship together and gaze at God's face. Face gazing is not just a warm-up act for for the real thing in our corporate worship. And so do you know what the result for me of my face gazing has been? (laughs) Nothing spectacular. (laughs) Frankly, not a whole lot of mountaintop experiences. Other people have more of those. That's just kind of not my personality. But think about it this way. What's the reward for seeking God? God is gaining God gaining an understanding of God, seeing Him more clearly, a deeper relationship with God that Scripture speaks much of. We gaze at God, we worship Him, and we gain more and more of Him into our lives. And we see life more and the more the way He sees life. So this is a practice. Face gazing is a, something we practice, we work at, we make part of our lives. Secondly, expect deep joy in face-gazing worship. And this might almost seem contradictory to what I just said, where I don't have many mountaintop experiences, but I have some. Or maybe stone mountain level experiences at least, you know. Big hill, big hill experiences as I, as I worship God. in. And this kind of joy can come with time and practice. It's a joy in the experience of connecting to God, of, 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 in a sense, getting back into Eden a little bit. Eden was that place where heaven and earth connected. And so we now, our bodies are temples, and we are the place where heaven and earth can now connect. And so it's, it's reconnecting that a little bit more tightly and experiencing the joy of realizing, I'm connecting with the God of the universe right now. I, I'm communicating with him, and he's communicating with God, with me. And it's when our, our, the, the eyes of our faith see God's face, even if for a moment. And, and I can warn you, it's often fleeting. And uh, it, it can be just a moment and then gone. Uh, Augustine spoke of this in his confessions when he said, So in the flash of a trembling glance, just barely, just barely, it, and he's speaking of his sight, attained to that which is, the reality of who God is at that moment i saw your invisible nature understood through the things that are made but i did not possess the strength to keep my vision fixed it was there and it was gone it was elusive my weakness reasserted itself and i returned to my customary condition i carried with me only a loving memory and here's some of the joy itself and a desire for that which i had not yet capacity to eat and so sometimes we can run on the fumes of the experiences we've had remember i I did connect to God back then. There was joy, and I'm feeling joy now just in the memory of how I connected to God, even though it may be fleeting or may be elusive. And so this joy is sometimes anticipated joy. Sometimes it's realized joy. Sometimes it's remembered joy. But it's a pursuit, and it's a pursuit we're always chasing. And chasing implies you don't quite have it yet. We're also always stretching toward. We're always striving for it. And that very striving, that very desire brings us joy itself, the yearning. But we have a final piece of this. And this is rehearsing the joy that we'll have in heaven now. Rehearsing heaven's joy of seeing God's face in an uninterrupted kind of way. His image fully restored in us. And so none of the natural limitations of this body and of this sinful mind and, and weak mind in trying to pursue God. And so the psalmist was confident of this in Psalm 17. And he said, I, in righteousness, when I've been fully cleansed in heaven, I will see your face. And he's talking about a greater degree than, than, which he, or than he saw his face here in, on earth. When I awake, I will be satisfied with seeing your likeness. And so the anticipation of that and its joy, we can pull that back here and anticipate it now and sense that joy now and revel in what we will have when we're in God's presence in heaven. And our worship will be complete because we will be made like him. And so we will see him as he is. And the eyes of our heart will no longer be clouded. We'll no longer be seeking, but we'll be seeing. We'll no longer be thirsty, but we'll be drinking. And we'll no longer be hungry, but we'll be eating. And we'll have God in the way we've always wanted to have God and continue to gain him even in heaven. And for us right now, that's not pie, pie in the sky. That's pie we can bring back here, so to speak, and borrow now just meditating on what we will have and in experiencing some level of that joy now in anticipation. That could be nourishment for the soul, meditating on the future sight of God's face and and banking on it, making it a real part of our lives. One of the favorite little stories of our family was back when our son Pete, who's 36 now, I think, was five or six years old. We were in the Philippines, and I remember we were talking, and we were just trying to paint. uh, I remember where we were sitting, just trying to paint pictures of heaven And seeing Jesus, especially to this five or six years old, and and seeing him face to face, and in that context of Jesus gathering the children to him, climbing up in Jesus' lap, as it were, and painting that picture for him, and right in the middle of that, he just broke out, and he just said, I just wish I could die right now and go be with Jesus. (laughs) And so like, wow, that was shocking. And then we thought, no, he really got it there for a moment. He wanted to be there, and, and, and even, he just wanted to set this life aside, so to speak, just to be there and see God's face. And so that's a joy even now we can enjoy as we anticipate what we will experience without interruption, seeing God's face. <clears throat> and so I'm going to end with a poem by George McDonald. and he spoke much of this, and he speaks of it here, seeing God's face, when he says... Then shall my heart behold thee everywhere. He's talking about in heaven. The vision rises of a speechless thing, a perfectness of bliss beyond compare. A time when I nor breathe, nor think, nor move, but I do breathe and think and feel thy love. Seeing God's face and pursuing that, that we might become more and more like God. Let's pray. Our Father, I think of several places in Scripture where you say you know that we are but men. You know that we are but people. You know that we are but limited. And we feel our limitation and our finiteness greatly in this whole area of worship and focusing on you. Just even a mental concentration that it takes to think about something that we cannot see, someone that we cannot see Help us not to give up on it because it's hard and it's elusive. Help us to continue to pursue that which will be our reality forever. And help us to pursue that now that we might more and more reflect you to others who know you and to others who don't know you as you work in our lives to help us to grow because we've sought your face. And we thank you for this this dynamic that you've created between us and you that we can connect in this very very deep way because we're created in your image and so father we thank you and we praise your name for this and we pray in Jesus name amen well let's stay-